Do you ever suffer from an identity crisis in the sense of asking yourself, who is the real me? Am I just a reflection of parents, educators, society, responding to the expectations and the demands and shaping myself in that image? Or have I really discovered the true me? Please join me in this discussion. Will the real me please stand up? You were born an original. Don't become a copy. Discover ways to find the true you and the courage to live up to your true self. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be speaking about Will the Real Me Please Stand Up? Discovering the True Self. This program is dedicated to Nathaniel Plotkin. Thank you for your friendship. Do you ever suffer from an identity crisis where you ask yourself, Who is the real me? Am I just playing out a script that was written for me, responding to the demands, expectations, attitudes that were ingrained in me when I was a young child, in those impressionable years by parents, educators, friends, society, peers? Because when you think about it, by the time we're adults and old enough, to consider the question, what does my independent voice say? What does my individuality dictate? By that time, you've already been shaped in so many ways. We have attitudes that become so ingrained in us, like second nature, that it's very difficult to say, one second, who's the real me versus the me that's been shaped by others? And especially if it was imposed without a fear, judgment, critique, that we sometimes don't even have the strength and the courage to discover our own voice. I've met too many individuals. I'm recalling now one particular example among many, whose father was like a tyrant very successful business person, had very strong opinions, and essentially imposed himself upon his children. In this case, the child that I knew was already an adult. And he said, when I had my own opinion about something, my father would ridicule me, dismiss it, invalidate it. So after a while, I stopped trusting my own instincts and opinions. I said, he must know better. He's smarter than I am. He's older than I am. He's more experienced, and I began to defer. He says, in true honesty, it could be he was right in some cases, but I never developed the self-confidence to just follow my own instincts. 
Now I'm an adult, he says, and it's my father's voice that haunts me. Whenever I think of something, I say, maybe you're wrong. You were always wrong when you were a child. What would my father do? So I don't know if I'm living a life of my father, an extension of him and his critique and his opinions, or my own life. Now this was told to me by more than one individual, but the, what I'm referring to is someone who speak to me, come to my classes, still does, listens online, and says, I've learned from your classes that there's another voice. And maybe it's time to start exploring that. This doesn't mean everything our parents or educators or others have said to us are wrong. But you should be able to decide. The problem is that when it's imposed in that way, when we're impressionable, when that wax was warm, the analogy I often use about a child, like warm wax. So every impression that's etched in the wax becomes etched in our psyches as the wax hardens, becomes part of us that it's very hard, us, very hard for us to find and distinguish. So will the real me stand up? Will the real me please stand up? Is not an easy thing to access. But what I want to discuss with you is ways that you can do so. And all of us can. This, no, no matter how deeply ingrained in our psyches and our personalities are the attitudes that are imposed or inculcated within us. And there are a few steps that are vital. Let's begin with the first and most important one. And that is self-awareness. Know thyself. The ability to go in with introspection, challenge our preconceived Existing conditions, I was going to say, but I really meant was preconceived notions that we've been carrying, the, the ability to challenge that. I'm not suggesting change it, but you have to be able to look at it with a fresh set of eyes. There's an expression. Awareness is have the cure of any problem. So awareness means acknowledging that there may be some subjectivity here, and maybe more than just subjectivity. This doesn't turn us into objective creatures, but an objective human being is able to identify situations that perhaps are subjective. We're all subjective in so many ways. As I said, we grew up with certain standards, with values, and certain education. The community we grew up in, the expectations. So the first step is don't just take it as a given challenge it in saying, one second, okay, I grew up with this, but one minute, let me investigate, let me evaluate, let me soul search and identify where did this come from? Is it going to be easy? No, because it could already be something that you consider a fact when indeed it's not a fact. That's point number one. Point number two is, let's break down subjectivity into three categories. Self-interest, which means our natural bias, where we're biased about ourselves, where we're blinded, where we may see a fault in another but not see it in our own self. So there's a natural subjectivity we all have. It could be through self-love, self-interest. 
Subjectivity number two. Impact of parents and especially early influences in our lives. And subjectivity number three. Impact of society and the environment and community. This would include media, include all the different data, information, and voices inundating us, demanding our attention, trying to influence us, trying to inspire us to buy something. Marketing goes into that category. When you break it into these three, the thing that it does is it allows you to now dissect. Because it's not just one big, okay, I'm subjective, but it's coming from all directions. They're, very, they're three very different effects on us. They all cause us to be subjective. But you can identify their source. The goal, of course, of all this is to clear the air. You want to be able to say, I want to step back. What would I be like if I did not have these three forms of subjectivity? Let's do it as a hypothesis, a hypothetical. Not that we can actually just ignore those forces, but what would it be like if I did not necessarily follow what my self-interest would dictate? If I didn't necessarily follow what my parents would have expected or demanded? And the same thing with the social influences. Let's call this a cognitive exercise at this point, because we're not looking to threaten your own turf and what you consider to be factual and real. But at least your mind is able to explore. You can, you can imagine another possibility. Why is that so vital? Because it's the first step toward freeing yourself from the influences that are immediately affecting you right now. I remember when my son came home from school many years ago. He was a little boy, and he was so excited. And I remember as a father, I asked him, why are you so excited? He says, I heard something very nice today. What was it? You were born an original, don't become a copy. And I immediately smiled and I said, yeah, that's beautiful. Years have passed, my, fa- my son is now a father of his own. So a while back I asked him, I said, remember you told me that? He didn't even remember, but I remember. So what happened with you? Are you an original or a copy? So at the time, he's a creative director today, but he was a copywriter No pun intended. So he said to me, as a wordsmith, I'm an original copy, whatever that means. It's a tremendous concept if you think about it. You know, I often quote Oliver Wendell Holmes in that tragic poem, The Voiceless. Alas, to those that die with their song still inside them. Alas, how sad. Those that die with their song still inside them that we each have a song within us. And many of us will die before that song is sung. Your unique voice, your unique personality was drowned out, was obliterated, was suffocated by other people's interests, deliberately or not deliberately. Very often the most insecure people are the ones that try to impose themselves upon us. Secure people let you be. When a flower is growing in the garden, those secure around us will let the flower blossom, spread its wings. If someone's trying to control, there's usually a reason. But it has that deep impact on many of us. And we don't even recognize that we have that unique song. That's why this is so vital. 
let the real you rise. It's critical, actually, because it'll determine every part of your life in every possible way. That's what it comes down to. So when going back to the tools I was describing, awareness, have the cure, and the different forms of subjectivity that impact us. Because they have such strong impact, that's why calling it a cognitive life raft, if you wish, it's an exercise to see yourself a part of the influence that have impacted you. And again, I want to reiterate, some of these influences are excellent influences. And, you should, and they should remain with you. But you want to be able to make that decision. Because you also want to be able to separate from those positive and from the negative and become that own, that you're the individual you that you should be, your voice, your song. So let's dig deeper now that we know how important it is, not just for you, but for the cosmos themselves, but also for you to actualize that potential that you and only you have. Which brings me to the compelling sense of urgency here. And you always need urgency. Because whenever there's a need for growth or change, and especially dealing with deeply embedded and old habits and routines and patterns, you need something stronger than that pre-existing comfort zone to pull you out of it. That's why urgency is so required. The urgency is that you have something unique to give to the world. There's something unique about you that should be expressed. And when you have that urgency, you need to feel, I need to sing my song and be myself. That urgency, when it's strong enough, can overpower the pre-existing patterns and routines and habits that have become part of who we are. Unfortunately, sometimes it's through pain and trauma and loss that pulls a person out of and, and, and literally drags them out of a comfort zone. Our goal is to be able to achieve that without pain and loss, although in most cases that's where it comes from. The urgency to know I am needed, I was sent to this world, am I living up to my calling? Or I'm just playing out what others have written for me or expected of me or convinced me that that's my destiny. I find that as a personal passion to help people free themselves from those influences. And then use the positive elements of those influences to grow and thrive. That's why the urgency is so much there. It's like this is the mission of your soul. This is the mission of your life. And you only have one life to live it. You don't want to find out that you just became a copy when you should have been an original. So now... The how. The how. Introducing yourself to new friends and to new ideas are, is vital. Because when you're breathing the same toxic air and you've gotten accustomed to it, it's just going to reinforce old beliefs and old expectations. That's how it works. And this is the first step to, to break free is by introducing fresh air, a new book, a new idea, a new class, a new person. And best someone that will, ch- something or someone that will challenge you. 
Not in a negative way, just to fight the debate, but will challenge your preconceived notion. So, to use an example. I'll use a, a, an example that's very prevalent today, unfortunately. Different types of discrimination and prejudices and racism. You grew up in a home where you were told certain things about a group of people. A group of foreigners, aliens, different color, different culture, different race, different religion. And you assumed that what you heard, that's the fact. Now you're an adult, and you start asking yourself, one second, that human being was also created by God. And they have their unique personality. Why do I assume that everyone who is in that category is something wrong with them? And this can be even people in the same religion, but of different communities and different cultures. And I'm specifically not giving a specific example because it could be anything. It could be color of skin, black, Hispanic. It could be religion, Jewish, Christian, Muslim. It could be people who are academic who look down at people who are not. I mean, the list goes on. So challenge yourself. Are you able to do that? I would hope so. And being that it's not that easy, take a document, take a piece of paper, start a journal, and write down, here are a few of my prejudices or stereotypes. Now, you may not call them such, you just see them as facts. But let's be honest. They're not facts. Just because you believe that doesn't mean it's a fact. Are you able to challenge yourself that way? So that's one area. Same thing with other things. Preconceived notions about, could be about a product. It could be about a particular individual, not because of a cultural, just somebody that you dislike for some reason. Challenging yourself is the greatest tool to break free. Does it mean you will break free immediately? No, but you've begun the process of at least exploring the possibility. And exploring that possibility is allowing the real you to begin to emerge. Now, you may come to the conclusion that this preconceived notion or prejudice is accurate. You know, yes, I heard it from my parents. I heard it from friends. I grew up with it. It became second nature. But, you know, after an investigation, there's some truth to it. Now, if that indeed is the case, which I find hard to believe about a group of people, but let's say a certain individual that you always thought something, you wanted to stay away from that person, you investigated, and you have good reason to do so. Okay, by all means. We all make our choices. Just be honest with yourself and make sure it's a good conclusion. Even then, I would say, that doesn't mean that person's a bad person. Maybe it's not your cup of tea. It's not someone you identify with. But should you come to the conclusion, or at least the possibility, that maybe some of these prejudices are inaccurate, let that sink in. Don't resist it. And again, I'm not talking about a dangerous situation where you have instinct or someone told you this and this person or group is dangerous. Obviously, when there's danger involved, you have to be extra vigilant and careful. But there too, there's nothing wrong with it. That's what a good open-minded does. A good open-minded person does. That's what the mind is there for. Remember, the power of the mind, interestingly, is it's objectivity and its reflective ability without coming to a conclusion that's subjective and relates. In other words, let's say somebody offers you a business deal. So if you're an intelligent 
and balanced person. You're not just going to go for it because it sounds it was, it was sold well. You're going to review it. You're going to do your due diligence. You'll talk to your attorney. You'll talk to other advisors. Let them look into it, dig into it. And then you come back and say, you know what? It's an appealing offer. And then you allow your emotions to become involved, which of course is where it becomes, what is, what is it about my, my relationship with it? But the mind at its best, you know what is it at its best? When it's like an objective arbiter. It's just studying, researching without any bias. It's a very powerful tool. Unfortunately, many of our minds are controlled by our emotions. We let our emotions to convince our minds to make a case for something. That's when people justify themselves and they find excuses. And the smarter they are, the more they can cover their tracks. But a healthy mind is that ability to reflect. I'm going to reflect. Even though emotionally I may have already an opinion, I'm not going to let my emotions control me. This process is vital in becoming and discovering self. It's still a far cry, because even if you come to a more objective conclusion, you still have to act on it, and that may not be so easy, especially after we have been built up and for years and years have developed this prejudice or this attitude. I would say attitude. I don't want to always call it a prejudice. But you've gone the first major step, on paper at least, or in your mind, you found and punched a hole in a given perception that may not have been accurate. The more you can do this, the more you free yourself. And again, you may come to a conclusion that your notions that you were given are correct. Fine. Write that down as well. So when you explore the second column, anything, say, here are my attitudes, my prejudices, my feelings on the matter. I'm going to now challenge that. And then you can make a second column that says, here's what I discovered. Some, were, some things were confirmed. Some were not confirmed. Maybe none of them were confirmed. Maybe all of them were confirmed. The journal is in order to document it so it becomes tangible and real and concrete. But the goal is, is that this should become standard practice. So whatever you approach anything that happens, you don't just retreat to your knee-jerk inertia-based reaction based on past perspectives, but you're beginning to train yourself to look at everything with a fresh set of eyes. So the awareness itself, just the mere fact that you're ready to explore another approach and actually explore it, that alone frees you to some extent. I say some extent because it's a journey, it's a process. Try it out. Try it out about people. Try it about events, about experiences, about historical things, different facts that you consider to be factual. You're a Democrat. Begin with your political persuasions. You're a Republican, the same. Challenge the assumptions you have. You'll become a greater person. Because if indeed they stand up, so then you can be more confident. You know it wasn't something you were just fed or conform to. If they don't stand up, you'll become a wiser person. Is it easy? No, it's not always easy, especially when things get close to home. The things where we are very strongly emotionally connected to. That's when it gets very difficult. 
Because who wants to go and challenge a place? It may even be painful to do that. Because let's say you discover that something your father or mother told you is not exactly accurate. You may say, you know what, I love them. I don't want to go there. So I'm not suggesting you have to go, go fight with your parents. You need to just discover yourself. You can disagree with someone and still love them. You can disagree with them. It doesn't have to become a debate. Yeah, obviously, if they did something that was hurtful and there's a need to, for reconciliation, there's a need for accountability. So case by case, one has to explore that. But that's not the objective of our discussion here. The point is for you to become an independent individual. I can't tell you how many times have I heard someone say to me, I don't know whether this is the job that I'm doing is really what was meant for me. I've heard this from doctors and from lawyers and from accountants and from computer programmers and from PhD professors. So I've never done a thorough scientific research on it, but are most people happy with their jobs? I think the statistics show most people are not happy. But there's two categories. Some are not happy, but have learned to become happy. You're getting your paycheck. There's a certain comfort, security. And you know what? You're resilient. I didn't love my job in the beginning. I've gone learn to love it. Are you deluding yourself or not? That's also categories. Some are and some are not. Some have learned to adjust. Some people have not, and they continue to dislike what they do. But they have no choice. The minority will tell you, this is my labor of love. This is what I always wanted to be. This reflects my soul. But most, as I've often pointed out, you ask them, who are you? They give you their business card. People give me their business card and I say, this is who you are. This is what you do. Some look at me confused. Others will say, uh, with a sigh. I've been doing this for so long. What I do has become who I am. You hear that? Who you are should define what you do. The ship doesn't tell the captain where to go. The captain should tell the ship where to go. But sometimes our actions and our behaviors and our routines define who we are. Is it easy to change that? No, because it becomes your comfort zone. Comfort zones are very powerful, even if they're not healthy, even if they're not right. Don't underestimate the inertia I mentioned, the power of a status quo. It doesn't look powerful. But when you're sitting in a chair for long enough, it gets very hard to stand up, especially if it's a couch, a couch potato. You don't see that when you're sitting there. You think, you know, no big thing. But the longer you've been doing something, the harder it is to break away from it. That's called a habit. Look how difficult it is to break a habit. It's become part of your programming, your wiring. As your neurons are fired, that's how they get wired. So it's not just easy. Okay, you know what? Let me just change my habit about eating or nail biting or smoking or whatever habit a person has developed or addiction for that matter. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. So I would suggest not beginning with the ones where you have the most resistance. I would begin at the edges, the places that are easier to challenge and easier to shift. And that's why I go back, the fresh air, a new friend, a new book, a new idea, a new class. Allow it to challenge you. Very healthy. Because the mere fact that you're introducing something that is not the common, 
that was here till now is creating change. That alone is a shift. If you do what you did and you say what you said and you think what you thought, what do you think you're going to have? You're going to have what you had. Insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Or as they say in recovery, if nothing changes, nothing changes. But we sometimes delude ourselves, no, I want change. What are you doing about the change? It's cause and effect. Action, reaction. You push your hand always this way, like the billiard ball, the, the ball will always go in the same direction if it's doing exactly the same thing. You want to shift, you've got, you have to shift something. And the easiest way is not just make a decision I'm going to shift, bring into your life something that, that compels you to shift in a good way. As I said, a new friend, fresh air. A change. Yeah, go meet maybe some people that you're not so comfortable meeting. And the more you can bring that into your life, the more it frees you from that which has shaped you until now and allows you to start assuming or at least exploring some new approaches. Now, any good mind does this. When you come up with an idea, you may be very convinced it's a good idea, but it's very healthy to challenge the idea. Even you yourself should challenge it. Invite someone in to challenge it. Because that's how your idea is stretched and you make sure that it's not tainted by the subjective forces that shape so much of us. Having a mentor. In addition to a new friend, a mentor. Someone you can consult, someone you trust. Run an idea by them and let them share their thought. And tell them, I'm not, I don't want you to agree with me necessarily. If you agree with me, great. But don't be afraid to challenge me because I want to hear another perspective. And there's so many other ways, but the key, it always begins with you. Nobody can do this for you. You need to have, again, that sense of urgency to push yourself to do this because you're going to be facing a lot of resistance, not from the outside, from within, from all those voices and all those influences that have impacted you from the beginning of time, the beginning of your life. But what you discover, you'll discover the real you. Because the more you separate yourself from the subjective forces, the more the essence of who you are begins to emerge. And that also can be frightening, because you're not used to this person. People, especially who've been in recovery, who've been through loss, like I mentioned, and pain, and when they discover a part of themselves they did not know, because the comfort zones were stripped, their security blankets were ripped away, so they had to dig deeper or they had to come up with some new approaches. It's not always that easy. You say, you know what, I never, I, this is a part of me I never knew. It sounds romantic and exciting, and the, the truth is it is, but because we're used to certain toxic air or the, we're used to our routines and habits, this, this new self sometimes can be very frightening because you're not used to it. And yes, people will gravitate to something that is unhealthy, but they're accustomed to, and something that's healthy that they're not accustomed to. But that's all part of the process. And that's why having support and others is so vital, because they can help reinforce 
encourage, be a sounding board. Don't isolate yourself. Because on our own, as much as we are unique and independent, but on our own we could also be weak. It's important to have support. It's important to have reinforcement. We have validation. Love. We are people that need love. We need care. That's why those that love us and have opinions have such an impact on us because it's coming from a person who's supposed to love us and maybe indeed do love us. But not everything they say is necessarily complete truth. So we need love and we need that validation. Not talking about just breaking away from everybody, but try to find it and seek out those that allow also for your independence. That the love doesn't come at the expense of you having to annihilate your individuality and your uniqueness. I love the analogy always of the symphony of many different instruments and musicians and many different notes, each playing their unique song, their unique part of a larger symphony. The beauty of it is that on one hand, it's as diverse as it gets. On the other hand, there's a harmony within that diversity. That balance to be individual and know that you're needed, but at the same time know that you need others, not out of weakness, out of strength. And the synergy makes everybody stronger. The individual gets stronger through the whole. And the whole gets stronger through the individual. That's the formula. And we see it in a healthy human body. And we see it in nature. And we see it in music. Nature. Look at nature. There's so many different species. Look at the human body. It's 35 to 75 trillion cells. Systems. So different. But the healthy human being, they all complement each other. And not because one is weaker than this. If the, for example, you take a piece of food into your mouth and the windpipe closes in order for you to be able to the food go down the food pipe, it's not compromising the windpipe. At that moment, the windpipe should be closed. And it's healthy for the windpipe to be closed. And the same vice versa, that when you're breathing, it should go through the windpipe and not the food pipe. And the same in the entire body. When a valve closes or opens, it's not a compromise of that. That's what makes it work so well. Everything in its place and everything working in a, co- in a coordinated effort, creating a synchronicity, a synergy that's greater than the sum of the parts and the harmony among it all. Now, all this works well in nature, in music, the human body. The challenge is us individuals. Can we live that way? Can we respect each other for the fundamental uniqueness that each of us has? while also understanding that we complement each other. And we need that cross-pollination. I need you, you need me. Not a need out of weakness, a need out of strength. And we all understand that. That, obviously, is the dream. If you could have a world of 8 billion people all appreciating that, similar to how musical instruments or the music in a symphony where there's a harmony, what kind of world would that be? And it's completely doable because if two people can do it, four people can do it. And if four people can do it, 4,000 people can do it. And 40,000, and 40 million, and 400 million. And the numbers go on. So you're discovering yourself. Will the true me please rise? Is not just for you, it's for all of us. 
I, we need you to be you. The Kotzka Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotzk, said this phrase, which can be applied in so many situations, but especially in our discussion. If I am I, because you are you, and you are you because I am I, then you are not and I am not. But if I am I because I am I, and you are you because you are you, I am and you are. Simply put, beyond the poetry, if my existence and my identity and my value is a result of you, which means I don't, does not self-generate it, it's reacting to you, and you're the one that's identifying, and you are defined by me, I will not really be me, and you will really not be you. We'll just be the blind leading the blind. But if I am I, because I am I, I've discovered my inner self, my unique identity, and you are you because you are you, then together we can come together as true love. Two circles, each independent, but coming together. Whereas in the version where each one never found itself, and they're defined initially by the other, then they don't really have identities. This is the beauty of love. This is the secret of relationships, healthy ones, sustainable ones, and it's the secret of discovering yourself, which of course is the punchline and the bottom line. You are unique. You're an original. Don't become a copy. And if you have become a copy, rediscover and revisit and find that original you that's always there under the surface, may need some work, but it's there. And be around people who respect that, who are not expecting you to conform to them. And they're not just there for you to serve their needs, where you become an extension of them and just another, another prop in their life. They respect you for who you are, your song. Sing your song, sing your many songs. Nothing greater for you, for me, for everyone. So may the real you rise and shine and illuminate and warm your environment, everyone and everything around you. And that itself will elicit the uniqueness of those in your circle and beyond. And this is what we are committed to. And hence the meaningful life sense, meaningful life, meaning of your life, the significance. Birth is God saying you matter. So this is the first time we're meeting. I welcome you and I cherish your unique soul and spirit and your unique journey and its own trajectory for all its twists and turns, turns for all its twists and turns. And I would love to be able to interact in that fashion. So please, share your thoughts. Share with others. Let's cross-pollinate. Let's synergize. Meaningfullife.com is our website where you can find this program and many others in the same spirit, covering all kinds of topics and ideas. But this is especially vital today and there's so much polarization and all kinds of voices and trying to inundate us and influence us. Be you. 
It's the greatest thing that's possible for you and for the rest of the world. Thank you so much. And check us out at MeaningfulLife.com and stay in touch. Be well and be healthy. God bless you. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.